speeding bullets. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Yes, it's Superman. Strange visitor from another planet who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can change the course of mighty rivers, bend steel in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 37 of the Man of Scream podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and in this episode, we are looking at episodes 17 and 18 of season 2 of The Adventures of Superman. The Boy Who Hated Superman, in case you had any, were wondering at all what that was about, and Semi-Private Eye, two interesting episodes in season two, one of which is Jack Larson's favorite. At the end of the episode, I'll let you guess and figure out which one. <laughs> and uh, help me out again this week, I got Bob Fisher in the house. Hey, hey. Thanks hey. for inviting me back. Oh, always. Uh, this, this is quite... Uh, when do I get a t-shirt? This has been a couple times now. Don't I get a t-shirt or something for this? Yeah, as soon, as soon as I start drawing some income. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Well, go to the Patreon tab and click pay now. Yes. Hi. How you been, Bob? Doing fine, Mike. How about yourself, buddy? Oh, oh good. Good. I am uh, I'm looking forward to one and a half of these tonight. This is kind of... An interesting couple of episodes we'll be talking about yes. tonight. And looking ahead into the future, this episode drops on Election Day. Does it really? It does. So <laughs> for, to, to all of you future people, you you only have one more full day of this national election to deal with. Yeah. Because I'll be honest, I am ready to quit the human race. Uh, you and me both. <laughs> you and me both. Because one of our candidates has already quit the human race. So. <laughs> Telling you which one not, sometimes not is hard to I'm tell. Not political or anything, but... But the end is near. Yeah. But why, why, why don't you say we go on to something fun? What do you think, Bob? Well, I think that's a much better idea. Good All idea. All right, so let's take a quick break. I'll play a promo, and then we'll come back with The Boy Who Hated Superman. Hang around, folks. My name is Bob Fisher, and I host a podcast called Superman Forever Radio. In every episode, I'll take an aspect of this character's long history and talk about it. From 1938 to the present day, from the comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, Superman has been part of my life for over 50 years. And if you'd like to know why, join me for each and every episode of Superman Forever Radio. So point your favorite podcatcher to Superman Forever Radio. That's Superman Forever Radio. SupermanForever.com Welcome back, folks. We're going to head right along into The Boy Who Hated Superman. How could anybody hate Superman? I guess we're going to find out. Yes, we will. The original broadcast date was January 4th, 1954. Ooh, I was almost two years old. I was almost negative 27. Mm. <laughs> was your father even born yes. in 1952? Yes, my father's even older than you. Ah, okay, okay. Well, I wonder sometimes, because I do a lot of podcasts with other guys, and so many times I've I've heard them say stuff, and they go, well, my father, and I'm thinking, wow, I'm the same age as your dad. My dad, my dad, you're probably about seven months younger than my dad, or five oh, months. But he's also 1952. 
So he was 51. Yeah, he was July 51. Ah, okay. So, yeah, <coughs> middle of 51. I came yeah. along six, seven months later. Yep. Mm-hmm. Good. Interesting. Well, way to go, Mr. Zumo, <laughs> out there. Yeah. So the writer was David Chandler. Director was George Blair. I believe George Blair directed both of these episodes. Mm-hmm. Guest cast includes Tyler McDuff as Frankie Harris, Leonard Penn as The Fixer, Roy Barcroft as Duke Dillon, our, our buddy Richard Reeves, no relation to George, as Babe, and Charles Meredith as Judge Allen. Good old babe. Yeah. I like Richard Reeves. And this was Richard Reeves actually, uh, you know, this character had to bring his brain along a little bit. Yeah, he had dialogue. Yeah, he did. So, now for our synopsis, brought to you by supermanhomepage.com. Clark Kent exposed the criminal organization of Duke Dillon in articles he had written in the Daily Planet, and Superman put him in prison. Duke's young nephew, Frankie Harris, hates both Kent and Superman for what they did to his uncle. However, as judge of the juvenile court, it's up to me to make some kind of provision for you while your uncle's waiting trial. Just let me take care of myself, huh, Judge? I'm afraid that's impossible. You're a minor, and a suitable guardian must be found for you. I don't need a guardian. I can get along. You think you know all the answers, don't you, Frankie? Listen, Judge. I lived with my old man before he died. He was a square. He worked like a dog all his life, and we never had nothing. Then my uncle took me in. We had everything. Everything but a decent home and somebody to love you. I don't need any of that junk. I'm not like the other guys. I'm different, see? Send Mr. Kent in, please. Kent? What's he got to do with me? Just an idea, Frankie. I'd like you to listen. Hello, Frankie. Let's lay it on the line, Mr. Kent. I feel the same about you as I feel about Superman. Oh, and how's that? Don't you know? You dug up a lot of information to frame the Duke. And if it hadn't been for Superman, we'd have been in South America right now with $200,000. Money that your uncle stole, boy. Can't you see that you're wasting your affection, wasting yourself on a man who is simply no good? The Duke is my uncle, and he's my friend. And he'd stick by me, and I'm going to stick by him. Loyalty's a fine thing, Frankie, when it's not misplaced. And Mr. Kent has offered to look after you until we find a suitable home or some other relatives. Why don't you give it a try, Frankie? Jimmy Olsen's staying with me now, while his mother's away. He'd be a pal for you. And you might find it's not too bad on our side of the fence. I told Superman not to do me any favors. The same goes for you. All I want to do is see the Duke. I got a legal right. Frankie refuses until Duke tells him that this could be an opportunity to find out what evidence Clark has on the gangster. He's a real bad Duke. He ain't good. The dirty rats. They confiscate all the money in the suitcase and slap me with a $100,000 bail. Sure as they know you're important, Duke. Yeah. How's it with you, kid? Will you hear? Clark Kent wants me to come and stay at his apartment with him with that boy reporter, Olsen. What'd you tell him? What do you think? Frankie, you're gonna do it. What for? Listen, we know that Kent has dug up enough evidence to put me away, but we don't know what kind of evidence or how much. But if we knew what kind of a case they had against you, then we could arrange for payoffs and alibis and buy enough witnesses to make them look silly. That's it. If you can't get it through Kent, maybe you can get it from that Olsen kid. I'll do my best, Duke. You know that. Sure, Frankie. You're the only one I can trust. Remember what I always told you. Be smart. Just a little smarter than the other guy. You know, Duke, I think this is going to be fun. Clark is clearly worried about Frankie while having dinner with cub reporter Jimmy Olsen. What's the matter, Mr. Kent? You hardly ate anything. Don't you like my cooking? Hmm? 
Oh, sure, Jimmy. I'm sorry. It's swell. It's just that I'm worried about Frankie Harris. Well, golly. If the guy wants to be a hoodlum all his life, I don't see what you can do about it. Excuse me. Frankie, come on in, boy. Hi, Frankie. I'm Jim Olson. Hi. Sit down. Thanks. We got some food left. Won't you have a bite? Oh, no, no thanks. I, I ate already. What made you change your mind? Oh, I don't know. I, I guess I like to be with guys that use their head. You got to be plenty smart to get something on the Duke like you did, Mr. Kent. Just doing my job. Do you think you could teach me to be a reporter? I mean, tell me how you dig up the stuff like you got on the Duke. Well, Frankie, I'll tell you what. Why don't you come down to the office tomorrow and we'll see what we can do. Sure. I in the afternoon, all right? Be fine. Well, I think this is going to work out all right. Yeah, so do I. Frankie has contacted the Fixer, a criminal name for the fact that he can arrange anything for a price. Here's the setup, Fixer. I'm living with Clark Kent and Jimmy Olsen. Now, I think I can get the information I need from one of them, probably Olsen. At least that'll give us a chance in court. Well, what exactly has this got to do with me? Well, if I can't get what I'm after, then you take over. Oh, I do, huh? You know you're the only one that can arrange it. A bust out while he's still in the county jail. Oh, I see. If you can't risk a trial, you want an escape. Can you do it? Naturally, I can fix anything for a price. How much? Shall we say about $5,000? Count it, Fixer. As I said before, my price is $5,000, down payment. What do you mean, down payment? I mean, you'll have to guarantee another 5,000 after the job. I haven't got it. All I got left is a few hundred dollars. Where'd you get this, then? The Duke had it stashed in case we were ever busted. Sorry, but it's not enough. Okay, I'll get the rest of it. How? Never mind, I'll get it. Good, it's a deal. Frankie enters Clark Kent's office the next day. Well, just in time for the guided tour. On your left, you have a magnificent view of James Olson, Esquire. Hello, Mr. Kent. How are you, Frankie? And this is my office. If you really want to be a reporter, make up your mind to spend half your life in a place just like this. It's not very fancy, is it? No, and it's not a very glamorous profession, either. Most people seem to think reporters are just like supermen. Let's get one thing straight, Mr. Kent. I don't even want to be reminded of Superman. I hate him. All right, Frankie, let's just drop it, shall we? Oh, Frankie, welcome to the catacombs. Hi, Miss Lane. Uh, the chief told me to see you, Clark. I need a voucher for $1,000. For what? Uh, the planet's donating some television sets to the children's hospital. The man's here for the money. Well, that's good enough for me. What do you use around here, the honor system? Oh, pretty much so. Once Clark signs a note, we turn it in for cash downstairs. See, I'm beginning to learn something already. I, I thought you'd keep it all in the bank. You have no idea the amount of ready cash we use in just one day. For example, we might have to send a reporter clear to Timbuktu at a moment's notice. Or buy three television sets. Thanks, Clark. You're welcome. What about it, Mr. Kent? Do you think I could get a job around here? It might help straighten me out. Why don't you wait just a minute? Here, sit down. Thanks. I'll see what I can do. While Clark leaves to see if there are any openings for Frankie, the boy takes one of the papers Clark uses to give funds to other staff members. As Clark returns to the office after dinner that evening, Frankie has been convincing Jimmy to change his life and work for Duke and him. Now there's a real square for you. What do you mean? I think Mr. Kent's a pretty swell guy. No offense meant. 
It's too late for him to change anyway. But it's not too late for you, Jim. What are you driving at? You want it straight from the shoulder? Yes, yeah, straight from the shoulder. Take a good look at yourself and tell me what you see. Myself. I'll tell you what I see. I see a guy that could use a new pair of shoes. A guy that has to shop in the basement. A guy that's going to burn himself out working for somebody else all his life. Now, take a look at me. What do you see? I'm not sure. I'll tell you. Tomorrow I get a birthday. Hey, we'll have to give you a party. That's not why I said it. I never had a party in my life. Who needs it? But I've had everything else. Take a look at this suit. Two hundred bucks. For one suit? Sure. Wait a minute. Here, put this on. Hey, I, I, I never wore anything like this before in my life. It's yours. Oh, jeepers. And here's a little something to go along with the suit. $150? There's plenty more where that come from, Jim, if you play it smart. The Duke can always use a young guy that wants to get ahead. But the Duke's in jail. He'll be out again and doing big things with me and you. Collie, Frankie, you know, that sounds good to me. I even got a funny feeling here inside me like some new power. Stick with me, Jim, and you'll learn to love that feeling. And Jim, I've been taking a chance talking to you this way. You could tell Kent. But just remember which of us would lose the most. Oh, listen, Frankie, a guy can smarten up a lot in a couple of minutes. Frankie has found Clark's file on Duke and has arranged for the Fixer's henchman Babe to pick it up. After Clark returns from the planet, he finds the match Frankie had used to see in the darkness, while Jimmy, who is staying with Clark while his mother is away, is asleep. To deepen suspicion further, Clark uses his X-ray vision to see Frankie drop the folder onto the street for Babe. Superman has followed Babe to the Fixer's home and prevented him from reading and burning Duke's file. A highly incriminating assortment of data if I ever saw it. Isn't it a little late for you to be up reading, Fixer? Well, at least if I don't get to read this, nobody else will. Almost takes your breath away, doesn't it? Gee, Superman, I was only following orders. Shut up. All right, Superman, so you've got it. So good night. But please, if you don't mind, open the door before you go through it. I don't know what I'm going to do about you two. I can tell you that. Nothing. Babe found that fire lying on the sidewalk. There's nothing illegal about picking it up. So again, good night. Good night, Fixer. As Frankie searches for more evidence and tries to forge Clark's name on the voucher he took, editor Perry White, Lois Lane, and Clark Kent are not too happy with Jimmy's recent attitude change. Kent, I think you should send Frankie back to the juvenile authorities. But why? Well, you've been worried about something all morning. Jimmy's acting like a kid again, and I don't like it. Frankie must have something to do with it. I'm afraid you're right, Chief. Haven't you anything better to do than mill around here and bother me? I've been beating my brains out all morning. I'm not going to kill myself. Well, just who's killing themselves? Well, not the Lord Fauntleroy, that's for sure. Oh, what's with you, Junior? Me? Nothing. Well, and Frankie come in yet? Nope. He said he was sick this morning. I guess he still is. I see. Well, how about lunch? Let's go to Tony's, huh? Lunch? Sure. 
but not Tony's. I... I take you to someplace fancy. Frankie showed me last night. Well, it's okay by me. How about you, Lois? No, thanks. Tony's is still good enough for me. All right. Come on, Junior. Bring your money. He has become more and more like a hoodlum. Hey, I'm gonna knock off early. Tell the chief I figured I did enough work for one day. That's all. Come here. Come right here. I mean it. Now, what is this routine? Routine? What do you mean? You know what I mean, and let's have it. I've got enough on my mind without worrying about you turning on me. Yeah. Maybe it is better for you to know. Well, you see, Mr. Kent, last night Frankie started talking to me. He tried to sell me a bill of goods to get me to throw in with him and Duke. And that's it, Mr. Kent. I knew Frankie was up to something. I thought if I played along, I could find out what it was. <laughs> well, what do you know? Well, why didn't you tell us? I don't know. I figured it would come out better this way. But I guess it wasn't quite fair. Well, I wouldn't worry about it. You go on back to the apartment. I'll see you later. Even I feel better. I was beginning to hate myself. <laughs> Unfortunately, Frankie has overheard this. He is angry as he leaves the planet building. And Jimmy tries to tell Frankie that he was only scared that the boy would get into more trouble. However, before it can be discussed further, Babe arrives to get Frankie. Hey, Frankie! What's the rush? Where are we going? We're not going any place. Hey, what's the matter? You talk like I... Like I just heard what you told Kent upstairs. Oh. Yeah. And I thought we were going to be pals. I must be going soft in the head when I start figuring I got friends that'll stick by me. Frankie, I know it looks pretty awful. But it was the only way I could figure to keep you from getting in real trouble. Why don't you try it on a violin? Frankie, I'm sorry it turned out this way. All right, Frankie, in the car. You, beat it. Save yourself some trouble. No, I'm staying with Frankie. You better do like he says. No, I'm sticking. Okay, but don't say I didn't give you a chance. Now get in the car, both of you. Come on, hurry up. What's the matter with you? Why didn't you beat it? I don't know. I guess I'm crazy. All right, out. All right, Frankie, let's have it. I haven't got anything of yours. That's what you think. The Duke owed me five grand. I'm collecting. I haven't got it. The fixer thinks you do. Otherwise, he wouldn't have arranged for the spring. I'll get the money, sure. But I got to give it to the fixer. You'll get yours someday. I'll get it today or else. Look, I gotta give it to the fixer so he can spring the Duke. There was a sucker born every minute. You took care of about an hour's worth, kid. What do you mean? A couple of months ago, the Duke got in trouble with the River Gang. They said one of the Duke's boys was operating in their territory, right? Yeah, so far, yeah. A week later, you got nailed in an alley and beat up real good, right? Yeah. I'll settle that someday, too. And settle it with the Duke. The Duke had to show his good faith. He had to let the River Gang teach somebody a lesson. He needed a patsy, Frankie, so he threw you to the dogs. That's a lie, babe. Uh-uh. I know it's true because he arranged it through the fixer. And you know it's true because the Duke was the only one who knew where you'd be that night. The Duke was going to take me to South America with him. Then Superman caught up with us. Yeah? Where are the plane tickets? Right in my pocket. They gave me his stuff when they threw him in jail. Look at him. One. One ticket. 
He's going to leave me. You had to find out sooner or later, Frankie. He used me, just like he used everybody else. Tough luck, kid. That's life. I'm in a hurry. Let's have the dough. Look, is it all right if I take care of it? Well, sure, kid. I don't care where I get it as long as I get it. Frankie is now confused and wondering who his true friends are. Jimmy shows him the light by giving Babe the money and helping Frankie escape the big henchman of the fixer. Now, both young men make their getaway and only one knows what surprises are in store for the other. Tonight is Frankie's birthday. Perry, Lois, and Clark have done something for the troubled young man that nobody had ever done for him. They are giving him a party. I'm afraid I can't stay. Uh, Clark, we're ready. Now, all together. Happy birthday, Frankie. Hey, what is this? Well, speech. Let's have a speech, boy. I don't know what to say. I've never had a party before. I guess I've never really had anything before tonight. Gosh, it's a, a great feeling. Excuse me. Hello, this is Frankie. What are you doing? You should be on your way. I I'm not going. It's all off. What do you mean, all off? I can't stop it now. Now, listen to me, Frankie. And that's not all. At 7 o'clock tonight, the Duke is coming out of that manhole in the back of the stadium. He'll be armed. And if you're not there to meet him, somebody's going to get hurt. I'm not going through with it. Jimmy, will you turn out the lights, please? Frankie, make your wish and blow out all the candles. As Frankie blows out his birthday candles in the darkness, Clark changes into Superman, who forces the manhole cover closed and places a car right on top of it so Duke Dillon will have no means of escape. Meanwhile... Well, somebody turn on the lights. <laughs> Frankie, did you make a wish? Yes. I wish that something that's supposed to happen tonight is somehow prevented from happening. That's a strange one. Uh, by the way, where's Clark? Right here, Chief. Frankie, how's it feel to be a year older? It feels wonderful. And you know, I, I don't even hate Superman anymore. Oh? Well, he'll be happy to know that. Very happy indeed. So, what do you think of this one? Um... I like the synopsis a lot. That was <laughs> the the synopsis. You know, and it's weird because you and I were talking actually before we went on the air, and I might have mentioned that this is not one of my favorite episodes. But as you were reading that synopsis, and I was just kind of mentally watching it again in my head. Other than a few of the facts, you know, uh, again, actors who are probably twenty five playing seventeen or whatever. Right. It, it it wasn't as bad as I was. You know, originally going to, you know, when we planned to do this tonight, I was going to kind of slam this episode. Well, you still um, can. And I still can. There's enough to slam it. It's not a big Superman show. But all in all, you know, the story is not a terrible story. And who is that? Chandler write this? David Chandler? I yes. Think wrote this. <clears throat> so I think all in all, the story itself is not terrible. 
Jack Larson has some fun moments. I don't know. I'm oh. see now. I'm I, my mind has been changed just in the last thirty seconds. So uh, I'm thinking it's better than I was going to say, but it's still not. You know, uh, compared to first season or Panic in the Sky or some of the other great Superman stories, this is not a great Superman story. Right. But it's a nice little, you know, maybe coming of age type story. A kid realizing that, uh, you know, this side of the tracks is better than that one. Or know, it's kind of about a kid, about a kind of a kid realizing what's important in life. Yeah. Because you yeah. know, one of one of the things we see from Frankie early is that, and there's something Frankie talked about. He uh, his dad did everything by the books. You know, he, right. he he went to work every day. He he busted his back trying to earn a modest living. You know, right. and they and they they had enough to maybe get by, but not much more than that. But meanwhile, he goes to the Duke, who's a criminal, after his father dies, and he sees how lucrative crime can be, and he kind of falls in love with the material things, but doesn't really have any friends. Right. And as we find out later, that the loyalty he's showing to the Duke is not returned by by the Duke. Well, that's often the case when you're with. The, these kinds of people. Right. If you fall in with these kinds of people, they are looking out for themselves and only themselves. And it's, don't turn your back. Right. So, but I think this was a nice little lesson type story, but not a great Superman right. story. But, it's, a good, uh, it's, a good, it's a good lesson for kids. Right, for kids. And right. they actually played it that way. And it right. was as if they were talking directly to kids with this one. Uh, even the few Superman scenes we see when him with him basically stopping that car. Right. I mean, it's, you know, jump off a chair and hold it. It was just not real Superman stuff. It was, uh, you know, but it was fun that he did it during I, the uh, birthday party. Right. So. The uh, but the yeah. best Superman moment, I believe, in this episode was the conversation with Fixer. Yes. Yes. Agreed. Right. Agreed. So how old do you think Frankie is? In real life or in the well, story? in real life. Look, mid-20s people play teenagers all the time. Hell, I remember when I was a young kid, uh, half the cast of 90210 was pushing 30. Yeah, exactly. So exactly. The, so yeah. it's not unusual. But I would think he's mid to late 20s in this uh, but doesn't, thing. But in playing, probably, that was probably his 18th or 19th birthday. Right. Well, well, maybe, maybe his 18th because... Well, I don't know how things worked in the fifties, but he needed at the beginning he needed he needed a guardian, so he was not of age to where he could uh, live on right. live on his own. Right. So I think that's a good point. You're probably right. Eighteen. Uh, I think in some uh, states in the fifties, sixteen would have been uh, uh, an age where you could have gotten out of legal guardianship of some kind. Right. Now, now something else that that is also interesting. I don't know if you noticed a few weeks back, maybe a month ago, as of this recording, Steve J. Rogers asking the group how old uh, we think Jimmy is in this series. I was kind of waiting for you to see if you weighed in. What do you think about how old Jimmy might be in this show? Well, <laughs> that's uh, that's always a good question because I think I think they're trying to keep him playing nineteen to twenty-two. Right, that kind of where I fall. Even though I think he was, what, 25, 26? I think he turned 25 or 6 during the second season. Right. So by the end of the show, he was getting close to 30. And even in one of the color episodes, they mentioned that Lois is 25 years old. And uh, they actually mentioned it in the story. Right. Which means Jimmy had to have been playing much younger than that. So even in those days with her, probably in her 30s at that point, playing a 25-year-old. And they actually sang 
why Miss Lane, you're 25 years old. And, you know, so Jimmy was probably playing at uh, 19 to 20-ish. A cub reporter who decided to maybe apprentice at the Daily Planet instead of going to college. Right, because interestingly enough, Jimmy is staying with Clark because his mother is away. Exactly. So it's like, I'm watching this episode and I'm thinking, is Jimmy not old enough to stay at his place by himself? No, and he never does throughout the entire episode series. Right. Even in the last season, I think they mentioned something about his mother or they mentioned some reason that he is staying with somebody else. Right. While his mother is doing something. Or maybe he just doesn't like being by himself. Uh, apparently he doesn't. No. Uh, yeah, so I'm just kind of curious. You know, because it's, it's obviously it's unclear. I always pegged him for like early 20s. Right. And, I, you know, it is unclear and they're still trying to – but it's even unclear in the comics. Right. Even in the comics of this time period, I always got the feeling that he lived alone. Right. You know, and he was having all of these adventures with not only Superman and him turning into Elastic Lad and Turtle Boy and so many of these other things and Legion of Superheroes and on and on and on and on and on and on and on, even Batman and Robin. They started playing little aging games in World's Finest at one point with Robin because they had to get Robin older and Jimmy younger right. so they could team up. And I thought they did it okay. I thought they did it okay. But right, I remember post-crisis in the early 90s, that vampire story they did in Man of Steel and Superman. Right. Jimmy Olsen and Tim Drake teamed up and you're thinking wait isn't like tim drake 16 and jimmy like 25 yeah and by that time if you're going to use the whole tim drake right that means dick grayson is aged out of robin he is now 25 26 right which makes batman 40 which makes jimmy olsen 30 right superman 40 right but they don't do that no the older characters the main characters never age but all of the sidekicks from speedy to kid flash to robin they've all aged jimmy olsen Every one of them aged. Every one of them. Right, but, well, you know, hey, that was, you know, comic books. Yay! <laughs> All right, well, the good thing about that is, beginning conversation is it took care of most of my notes for the early part of the episode, at least. Yeah. And uh, aside from my sarcastic note about, the, of course, the judge is sending him to Clark, because apparently Clark is now running a halfway house on top of everything else he does. Why not? Right. Could, maybe it could had something to do with Clark doing that story on Duke. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. There's something... I kind of get a chill when Frankie smiles, though. You know, he kind of gives you that snake oil used car car salesman smile. Yeah, he's Eddie Haskell. Right. Who, you know, hit the big time with a bad crook. Who thinks he's hit the big time because he's got a few hundred bucks in his pocket. Right. And uh, so, obviously, we meet the Duke. He's in jail. He sends Frankie to live with Clark because, you know, plot. And apparently their plan is to buy off the lawyers and the witnesses. So, obviously, this plot is not very great from the beginning. So... But yeah, yeah, some problems. As I've mentioned before, Jimmy is staying with Clark, and uh, apparently Jimmy is a little self-conscious about his cooking because you, you see, and we've seen this a lot with with Clark in the second season, where if something is bothering him, he just sits there and looks very distracted, look like he's pouting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's the last time uh, we talked about Marty Mitchell affecting Clark's appetite. Now, uh, apparently, Frankie is, and I do like Jimmy's logic here. He basically says, you know, you can't always help someone who doesn't want to be helped. Absolutely, absolutely. There's, there's so many times in life where you just kind of beat your head over over that with certain people who right. don't want help. and Even in my age, right. I still don't get it. Right. There are people who just don't want help. Right. Won't take it, don't think they need it. 
think they're voting for the right guy? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it's stubbornness or denial or pride, but yeah, you know, some people. As much as you try to help you them, you they won't allow you to. You know, just for your own mental health, sometimes you have to know when to uh, kind of cut and run. Yeah. Well, Frankie has to figure things out eventually. Yeah, he does. Well, right now he's trying to figure out how to how to get the Duke out of this and find out what kind of evidence Clark has. So Clark is very excited to see when Frankie shows up. And I think this is kind of putting Jimmy out a little bit. Hiya, boy! Yeah. I think Frankie overplayed his hand a little bit when he came in. Just pretending to be excited to be there when he, uh... You seemed a little too excited about wanting to learn reporting methods. Mm-hmm. And well, I think that's one of the differences between... Actually, again, the show in the first season and then the rest of the series. In the first season, it was for adults and the acting to some degree was subtle. Right. There was things you they wanted you to figure out. Whereas now, over playing certain things, they want to make sure that the viewer understands that Frankie is not serious. Right. About, about you know, wanting to be a reporter. They need the kids to figure it out uh, as early as possible. But meanwhile, poor Jimmy can't get anyone to eat his cooking, as Frankie ate, apparently ate before he got there. <laughs> I don't, I don't know what what Jimmy made, but nobody wants it. Mm, beans and Franks, I guess. Yeah, probably. Eventually, Frankie goes over to the fixer, and this is where we see Richard Reeves uh, again. No relation to George. I think, believe this is his third of his many appearances as a henchman on the show. Yeah, many appearances. At least seven. Yeah, well into the color series too. This is going to be Frankie's backup plan in case discrediting the witnesses and the lawyers doesn't work. He is going to break his uncle out of jail. And this is where we kind of see the more experienced fixer taking advantage of Frankie's inexperience a little bit. Right. Because he asks Frankie for $5,000 and he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I got it right here. Then, then he, he's like, oh, yeah, everything's all set. Everything's all good. Frankie's all excited. And he's like... I'm not going to say go until you get another 10,000, uh, 5,000. And then we see Frankie kind of go, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, although I will say $10,000 in 1953 is probably not that bad for a jailbreak. No, no. I think, you know, Fixer was being uh, fine about the money, right. the amount of money overall. But the original plan, you see, if Frankie had been smarter, he wouldn't have said, that he had all five grand, he would have said, I got 2,500 now, I'll give right. you the rest when he's out. You see, he should have made some dealing. But Frankie was a little too young and inexperienced right. to do that kind of a thing. And the fixer and later Duke just try to take care of him. Now he needs the money, so he's got to go get it from somewhere. And Frankie shows up at Clark's office, you know, again, flashing that used car salesman smile that he's got. And, uh, you know, he's there, and uh, Clark gives him this very animated talk about how great journalism is. I kind of checked out of this scene at this point. Yeah. You know, the uh, between the great view of Jimmy Olsen, who's doing something. Jimmy never works at his desk, I've noticed. He's, he's always working at Clark, in Clark's office. But the, the minute uh, Clark mentioned... Well, he didn't actually mention Superman. He said, people must think we're Superman or something, and Frankie just kind of goes off the reservation a little bit. This is where we learn he hates Superman. And, and, and then Lois shuffles in because... Perry sends Lois to Clark to get a voucher for $1,000 for the TVs for the children's hospital, I believe it was, or something like that. I found this part a little strange in the sense that why is Perry sending Clark to get a voucher? As the editor, I would think Perry would be in control of all that. Maybe. Depends. Hierarchy. You know, he may not 
Uh, I think it was weird why Clark was doing it. Right, exactly. It's not, you know, when uh, when one of my coworkers needs a voucher, they don't come to me. They go to, they go to the boss and deal with the money. Right. And bigger corporations have people that do nothing but that. They right. just deal with the money. So, I don't know. You would think, but, you know, they've only got four actors. So right, exactly. One of them this week had to be the guy in charge of the money. And, of course, since uh, we need it to be Clark because Frankie is in his office and the vouchers are going to uh, become his plan to get the money. Right. So, after that, uh, back at the apartment, we get to see how much of a hard-working man Clark is because they all have their dinner together. And then Clark has to go back to the office because he's still got work to get done. So... Clark leaves, and this is kind of when Frankie kind of puts the moves on Jimmy a little bit. Mm-hmm. And his hot new $200 suit. Yeah. All the listeners' minds are probably winning the gutter right now, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, because, you know, obviously Frankie insults Clark as soon as he leaves. Kind of, you know, Clark's old. Yeah. It's too he's late. Square, he's yeah. square, and he's too late for him to change. And then he kind of he kind of plays at Jimmy's... Insecurities about, you know, whatever insecurity as a young man he might have about his own future. Mm-hmm. And kind of shows off his riches, and he is outright trying to buy Jimmy and recruit him to work for the Duke. But Jimmy's too smart for that. Well, Jimmy is at the very least pure hearted. You know, I'm not, you don't want to believe that Jimmy's going to really turn to this. So, no. what do you think in this, at this moment? Do you think Jimmy is too smart, or is Jimmy being taken a little bit? I think Jimmy is impressed with the money, maybe, and going, wow, and this suit Philly feels good, and wow, that is kind of cool. But I think down deep, once Jimmy realizes what's going on, no, he's, he's, uh, I think he comes up with the plan right now. Right. To, to play along. All right. So obviously, uh, Frankie has found some of what he's looking for because Clark keeps it in that little desk by his, by his bedroom door. We don't actually know what the evidence is, but we know it's in the folder. Even in the middle of the night, Fixer and Babe are playing chess. From Frank and Frankie wants to send them over the documents. Why not? <clears throat> Hopefully, the viewers have paid attention to the match to the matchstick that Frankie used to provide some light for himself. That's going to come into play when Clark comes back and he finds something on the floor when he comes in. So, with some help of some X-ray vision, he sees Frankie. He sees Frankie drop the envelope out of the window, and in um apparently there was no wind in Metropolis that day, as the whole folder landed, wow. as far as we know, right on the sidewalk with nothing falling out. And how high up is Clark? Isn't he on like a third or fourth floor? I think it's 322. Right. Or 3B something. Maybe something. I forget. So obviously this is a job for Superman now, and uh, he's following Babe. Babe uh, brings the envelope to the fixer. And obviously, we've talked about this before, how do we know Superman is visiting the bad guys? The window is closed. (laughs) (laughs) Smash. Right. And so obviously the fixer's first plan is to get rid of the file. Well, if I don't, if I can't read it, nobody will. And so he throws it into the fire. And I said a few weeks ago during the face and the voice, when he blows out the, uh, the fire in the truck, yeah. that that might be the only time we saw Super Breath in this show. Well, this episode just made a liar out of me. Oh, yeah. He uses that several times, actually. Yeah. But not too many times. Not a lot, but he does use it. Period. I think there are four or five times right. throughout the series. You'll see more of it. Right. So I do really like this shot of Superman talking to Fixer. Did, did you, did you look at the, uh, I don't know if you looked at all at this shot here. You know, you know, one of the things, uh, you know, they teach us as photographers, and I assume as videographers too, mm-hmm. never shoot at a mirror. Ah, right. But well, it takes planning. You do have to really plan those things. Right. I have a funny video when I was in my twenties, actually, that I did. So we're talking in the late seventies, and I was going to freeze frame. What do you call it? Stop motion. Right. Stop frame. Me shaving my beard off. Okay. 
So I thought I had everything set so that the camera wouldn't be seen in the mirror and, you know, how we were going to set the shot up and all this stuff was done. And then in the final thing, and this was film, we shot it on film. Right. And then when I get the film developed and it comes back and we're running it through and I go, holy crap. I left the the tripod (laughs) in the frame. Because we went from a handheld to place it on the tripod for the freeze shot. So everything was set up where it had to be. But then you could see the tripod as I walk into the bathroom. Right. Oh, crap. And you can't edit it. If you edit it, that ruined the animation. So. Yeah, I did I did pause it and look in the mirror to see if they, they left any equipment visible. I didn't see anything. No, I think they were pretty good at this one. This was I, pl- I, I really like this shot cuz you basically yeah, so see you basically see Fixer twice. Yes. He's on the left where he actually is and you see like the right profile of his face. Right. And then you see his full face on the right kind of reflected over Superman's shoulder. Right. So just a I thought that was a great well done shot. Yeah, I agree. And obviously as, as far as the plot goes, Superman has nothing on these two guys. Because it is legal to take the documents off the street that you find. And I don't know, I left like three minutes after Fixer's quip about asking Superman to open the door before leaving. <laughs> right. <laughs> I just really liked how Fixer was cool under pressure and not taking... Well, he's, uh, he's the Fixer. He, he was, is. you know, cool with Superman standing there with yeah. the goods on him. Well, he didn't really have the goods on him. Well, that's true. You know? That's true. He had the envelope, but that's true. Yeah. As Fixer said, is there's nothing illegal about picking up documents off the street. That's true. I believe from the direction Superman leaves this scene in, he's go- is actually going to the door because he turns and goes to his right. Yeah, and the and the window is behind Babe and Fixer. Yeah. Why not just reuse the window that he's already broken? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> so anyway, apparently it's the next day now, and we're at the Daily Planet, and uh, guess what? Perry's angry. Perry's angry. Yeah. No. Calm, quiet, reserved, collected, cool, under pressure, Perry White? Right. Is angry? That's hard to believe. Right. Well, apparently he wants, uh, Perry wants Clark to send Frankie back to uh, Family Court or wherever it is he came from. Great Caesar's ghost. Because he can see Clark is worried about something. And apparently Jimmy is going around the planet acting like a delinquent. Yeah, Jimmy was trying to be cool, man. Right. And Lois did not... and money. Yeah, and Lois did not find him very cool at all. Well, she saw right through his little act. Did she, or did uh, she kind of tell him just to go away and leave me alone? Uh, I think she <clears throat> didn't realize he was acting, but thought he might be picking up some bad habits. Right, and that's what we're supposed there. to think at this point. Right, and I think that's where she is at this point. She just thinks he's picking up some bad habits from Frankie. Right, and uh, so at this, right after this, he uh, he goes into Clark's office and basically says that he's going to... He's leaving early for the day, and, and this is where I, Clark is. Uh, he's not putting up with Jimmy's crap. And Jimmy can't lie to Clark. so no, he can't. So the jig is up, and he basically confirms our suspicion that he's playing along with Frankie to kind of find out what's going on. But Frankie heard him. Frankie heard him. Be- because Frankie is on his way back. Immediately before this scene, we saw Frankie going to Plan B. With, with Superman having gotten the documents back, we have to go to Plan B, which is springing the Duke. So Frankie's coming back to Clark's office, probably to, to cash his voucher, and he heard Jimmy talking to Clark. So, But they leave. Jimmy's trying to catch up with right. him. And they leave together down the elevator. But guess who's waiting for them as they come downstairs? Oh, uh, oh, Babe, of course. Babe. But Hi, Babe. Be- yep, and before Babe shows up, basically Frankie reads Jimmy the riot act. Right. And about how he, how he was a fool to have trusted them or, or whatever. Yeah. I like the looks on... 
Jack Larson's face during this discussion. Because mm-hmm. you can tell that he's sad because he wants to help Frankie. Right. You know, like I said, Jimmy is pure of heart, if not pure of brain. Right. I think all three of them in this scene down here, Babe and Frankie and Jimmy, uh, I think that's a good scene. It is. And mm-hmm. I believe and Babe is a perfect name for Richard Reeves' character. He is. I wonder if they call him Babe any other time. I don't know. I wonder if they reuse that name, because that's a perfect name for him. It is. I want to point out that I believe this is kind of where Frankie starts learning a little bit about loyalty. Right. Through the actions of Jimmy first getting in the car. Uh-huh. And it's kind of Jimmy is trying to show Frankie how friends treat each other. Yep. Apparently, right out of left field comes uh, this little twist that the Duke owed Babe money as well. Apparently, Duke owed a lot of people. He did, and uh, this is when he tells Frankie the story about how Duke set up Frankie to get, quote-unquote, taught a lesson by the River Gang. Basically, get him beat up. And then Frankie learns that Duke was going to betray him by going to South America alone. Of course, Frankie is still in that, no, no, the Duke would never do that to me mode. And, And apparently, he's still carrying around the plane tickets. So Babe tells him to check it out. And guess what he finds in his pocket? One ticket. One ticket to South America. And then Jimmy says something interesting to, to Frankie after this. He tells Frankie that he had to find out sooner or later. Is Jimmy implying that he knew the Duke was going to jet by himself? Well, not that he was going to jet by himself, but he had to find out sooner or later what kind of a guy the Duke, uh, the Duke, the Duke really was. See, I always thought Frankie knew what kind of guy the Duke really was and just didn't care. No, 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 no. I think Frankie thought the Duke was, everybody was, was wrong except the Duke. The right. Duke had, you know, had been wronged by the police and the fixer and all these other people. So that in Frankie's eyes, Duke was his hero. Up right up until right about now, it's starting to all sink in. And I think the ticket, he may have had some suspicions. Right. Because then the ticket was kind of the, the icing on the cake, the cherry on the ice cream, except those are positive things. This is the final straw. There right. you go. There you go. A better metaphor. So what do you think of this little fight in here? <laughs> Jimmy starts by stepping on the on Babe's foot. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty good. It's so typical Jimmy, too. Right. And that's out of the comic books. He's he did that in the comics, and I don't know because I have a I have a mental picture in my head of the panel of Jimmy Olsen doing it in a comic book. Now I don't know if it was done before or after this episode, but this is a second season episode, probably shot sometime in 1951, airing in late 52. Is that where we are now on this one? Yeah, November. no, no. This one aired January of 1954. Ah, right, right. Season right. two was shot in 53. Right, right. There we go. Season two, right. 51 was the first season. Right. Yes, got it. I know now. <laughs> I'm back. All right, so, so there we go. They get away. They they beat off, beat off Babe, and uh, we go back to Clark's, where Perry and Lois are setting Clark's table, and Cl- Clark comes out with a birthday cake, and I think Frankie is kind of shocked here about how they're treating him. I'm sure he is. And... This is like the final nail that he realizes he's been wrong about just about everybody and everything. Yeah. I always think it's funny in these kinds of, in TV shows, and not just this episode, but in TV shows and, you know, movies, and probably not as much in the more expensive movies, but particularly in low-budget type things like this. When Frankie says, you know, one second, I'll be right back, and he goes to the phone to make the phone call, he took like two steps. He's right there, you know? Right. And then when he comes back, everybody acts as if they have no idea who or what he just did. Well, they, do well, do they? Well, not in the story, but in reality, 
it's it's always I always find it funny when they when that happens when somebody whispers or says oh come here let me tell you something and they everybody can only hear Frankie's half except for Clark obviously that's true Clark that's true hears the whole thing because I think Frankie on his end was cryptic enough that okay. so that even if the other people heard what he was saying that it's no big deal that they don't they know he's trying to obviously call off something right they just don't know what right. They don't know that he's trying to call off a prison break. Right. But obviously Clark does because he can hear the other half of the conversation. Right. And obviously, I'm not actually sure whether Fixer got all of his money yet. <laughs> but but Fixer won't stop the prison break. And fortunately, Clark can uh, slink away while the lights are off. And he leaves. Boy, the lights going off must have made that room really dark. Really dark. And those lights must have been off for a long time. There is, a, as he leaves, a nice shot of Superman flying away from the camera. Season two had a lot of nice flying shots. I will say this more than season. Yes. They really mastered the art of making him fly. It's al- it's almost sad that the show went to color and we lost some of these. Yeah, you know, because season two made you believe that George Reeves is flying. Oh yeah, what's some great shots of him flying? The color episodes, not so much. No, no, I still like some of those color episodes when he's flying, you know, to the left. Right. And his arms are outstretched in the color, and his cape just looks good. He just looks really yeah. good. His, his toes, you don't see the pan under his chest. It just just looks, I really like those shots. Yeah. Those left to right. I like the shots where you can see the city in the background. Yeah, exactly. The full, yeah. Because even as a kid, I always noticed he's flying past the same buildings no matter where he was. Yeah. You know, so. Still looks good. It does. So, <laughs> here is. Superman's trapping method, we've talked about this. First stepping on the manhole cover and then rolling the car over it. Hopefully at some point somebody's going to retrieve Duke from down there. He, they might want to hold him down after he's done with it. Uh, he'll just have to go back to jail, won't he? I guess so. Hopefully get a shower, too. I don't know why he doesn't just go down to the block, one block down, and get up the next manhole cover. He only had a Maybe he only had a map to this one. Mm-hmm. Well, doesn't someone have to be there to open it for you? Uh-uh. No, manhole covers are just kind of, well, maybe changed now, but last time I looked at a manhole cover, particularly the ones in the street, now the ones that have, you know, electrical or water things under right. them, they have to have a tool to open them. But the manhole covers used to just be kind of, I don't know what the word is, but it, the cover just fit down in there. Right. It had little grooves and it would just fit. And it, they were just so heavy. Right, that's what I thought. Uh, uh, is it heavy? Is it, can somebody push it up from down below? Can one person do it? Yeah, I think an adult man could can do it. Okay. Yeah. Right, we're just about at the end where Frankie wishes for something to prevent oh, the jailbreak. Yeah. You know, something that's going to happen. You know, Frankie really should. They should tell Frankie that if you tell people what you wish for, it, it doesn't come. It's not going to come true. Well, they didn't tell them specifically. And uh, well, I don't it's think vague enough. I don't think he really wants. Well, yeah, I was gonna have the Duke get out of jail. It would have been worth for him to say that just to see Perry have an aneurysm over it. Yeah. <laughs> would have been better if frankie was thinking right. he would have double cost duke because then he'd have had five or ten thousand dollars to start his whole new life over right and a, and a plane ticket to south america and a plane he could have yeah frankie could have been a bad guy and taken over the whole thing but right no he a little too naive a little bit so we already know that superman delivered the wish and obviously we get our feel-good ending because frankie doesn't hate superman anymore Yay. Yeah, that's kind of what I said. And obviously Clark says that Superman very glad to hear that. Mm-hmm. I think George Reeves was just very glad for this episode to be over. <laughs> right. You know, and it's funny because they call this episode the boy who hated Superman. Right. 
they treat these characters, both Jimmy to some degree and Frankie, as if they're boys. I mean, you know, high school even, younger right. age. They treat them like that. Uh, there's another episode, second season, black and white episode. I forgot the name of it. It's the one where Lois Lane shoots the Tommy gun. Oh, yeah, that's coming up. I forget. Is uh, that the is that the I don't know. But they do the same thing there. It's Boy Day or something in Metropolis. Is that Jimmy Olsen boy editor? Boy that's it. Jimmy Olsen boy editor. Bo- and boy Day the, was the clue. Yeah, and at the end of it, the chief of police, the mayor, everybody are quote boys. And once again, it's a bunch of 25-year-olds right playing the part of 15 or 16-year-olds. It's very weird. Very weird. It's still weird. It's still weird. I understand it. I know why they did it, but it's still kind of weird. Right. And, um, you know, sometimes CW does it without really doing it. I mean, they have a lot of young actors, uh, but they're not playing the part of people who are supposed to be even younger than they are. Right. They're playing the part of people having jobs that should not have jobs at that age. Right. You know, they're they're putting 20-somethings in um, high-up, responsible CEO-type jobs. And that is very rare. I mean, it might happen here or there with startups and stuff. But your average corporate well, CEO guy... Spoiler for Arrow, Oliver Queen is, an under 30, is about a 30-year-old mayor. <laughs> That's true. That's true. But how old are they playing Oliver Queen on this? He seems to be the grown-up in all these shows. I'd have to go back and do the, and kind of do the math. Yeah, me too. But I don't want to do the math now. But all right, let's just say that say he was 20, 21, 22 when the boat crashes. Okay, five okay. five years later, he comes back at twenty seven. Twenty seven. The show's been on the air five, five years. This is the fifth now, season, so he's he's about thirty one, thirty two. Okay, okay. You know, he's still looking pretty good. He looks okay. So let's finish up, boy, with the boy who hated Superman. I'm done. Oh, me too. you know there's really not much to say about this episode no and and i think you know to be fair it's not a bad moral story for children but as an adult it's a really boring boring story even though some of the subplots of duke and the fixer and babe are kind of cool i thought fixer and babe were the best part of the episode absolutely Absolutely. Fixer and Babe are the best part of the episode. And the look on Superman's face when he just kind of comes into the camera once, pulls the car over. Right. That's pretty funny. And it's also a really good scene with Superman and Fixer. Right. So. uh, I enjoy scenes in this series where Superman doesn't get his way. Right. Because you don't see it very often and. Right. So anyway, yeah, that's that's about it. That's about it. So that's me being fair to one of, I think, the weaker episodes. I don't yeah. know. That's not even fair there either. Uh, it was fine. It was a good episode. Liked it a lot. This is a, remember this is this <laughs> this is a season that includes the dog to new Superman. Oh man, I had a I, I had a meltdown on the mic over that episode. <laughs> man, I'll bet that episode was also written by David Chandler. Yeah, but it's a, another cutesy episode with Louis Lyman playing the the bad guy again. Yeah. Well, I don't know his real name. I keep forgetting that actor's real name. Yeah, I forgot it. I don't have it in yeah. front of me. Yeah. But anyway, okay, good. We finished The Boy Who Hated Superman. All right, so let's take another break, play a break promo, time. and then we'll come back with Semi-Private Eye. Woohoo! Hang around, folks. Hey, 
Karel, you have traveled far. One journey has ended. A new journey is about to begin. Hey everybody, Magnus here. I do a podcast called Trennis Magnus Punches Reality. What I do is spend six episodes talking about comics, movies, and TV shows. But all that stuff gets put on hold every eighth episode so that I can talk about Smallville. Smallville's the most underrated live-action adaptation of Superman in all of history. Smallville's my favorite version of Superman apart from the comics, and so every eighth episode, I put Smallville under a microscope. Listeners all around the world have been shocked to discover just how awesome Smallville truly is and just how well it holds up to critical scrutiny. I've recently finished what most people regard as Smallville's first run with the conclusion of the mighty third season of the show. But as awesome as Smallville may have been up to this point, the best is still to come. And I want you along for the ride. This is Magnus Talks About Smallville, an eighth episode feature of Trennis Magnus Punches Reality. Now with fewer cigarette breaks. So check out Magnus Talks About Smallville. Every eighth Tuesday, for all the Smallville small talk you could ever hope to shake a stick at. Magnus talks about Smallville. Every eighth Tuesday, only at twotruefreaks.com. Our next film was also produced in 1953. It's entitled Semi-Private Eye. This was also my favorite episode. As Jimmy Olsen, I have a chance to play a private eye, imitate Humphrey Bogart, Casablanca, raincoat and all. I bungle my way through handcuffs, and needless to say, Superman has to get Jimmy Olsen out of another jam. Join us now for my favorite episode, Semi-Private Eye. So, welcome back, folks. We're going to head right into Semi-Private Eye. And just before I get into the fun fact about about this, this is Jack Larson's favorite episode of the series. Yes, it is. Hey, I'm still here. Wow, cool. You are. <laughs> but yes, you're right. This is Jack Larson's favorite episode. And it's one of my favorite episodes. This would probably um, definitely make my list of best episodes for the second season. Right. It's probably out of the... 56 uh, black and white episodes. Would it make the top 10? I'd have to stop and think. It'd be close. It'd be close. Uh, it would definitely make the top 20 out of the 56. I it's not the top half. It's not the greatest episode in the world, mm. but it's so much fun. Oh, it's it's Jack Larson is just, he's so, so good in this episode it's just everything that he wanted to do it brings in his theater it brings his stage acting it brings his comic timing uh i just think it's just one of the most fun episodes to watch i never have a problem sitting down to watch this one if somebody's got some really good stars in it too if somebody came to me and said show me a jimmy olsen episode mm, this is absolutely. the one this is the, this one. Is the one absolutely this, this is, is- Pure Jimmy Olsen. This is a live-action Jimmy Olsen comic, as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is pure Jimmy Olsen. And I just really love the episode. So, I will sit over here while you do the synopsis from 
the Superman homepage, your number one source for Superman information on the web. That's right. So, original broadcast date was January 11th, 1954, written by David Chantler and directed by George Blair, the same crew from the last episode. Guest cast includes Alicia Cook Jr. as Homer Garrity, Richard Benedict as Cappy Leonard, Douglas Henderson as Noodles, Alfred Linder as Murray, Paul Fix as Fingers, and Angelo Rosito as the Man in the Pool Hall. And now for our synopsis, as Bob mentioned, brought to you by supermanhomepage.com. Private Detective Homer Garrity is walking down the streets of Metropolis when bricks from a chimney are about to plummet onto him. The timely arrival of Superman prevents him from being injured as the debris lands on the Man of Steel's invulnerable body. If it makes any difference to you who you saved, I'm Homer Garrity. Oh, the private detective? How do you do? I'm flattered that you know me. Well, I'm glad I looked down when I was flying. In time to see those bricks fall. Oh, it's probably just one of the thousands of rotten chimneys around here. Were you sure it was an accident? Oh, my, yes. Nothing that glamorous ever happens to members of my profession uh, in real life. Well, if I were you, I'd look up once in a while. Daily Planet reporters Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen are discussing Superman's rescue of Homer Garrity. At least a dozen persons saw it happen, and each one phoned in the story. The first one said Superman had been showered with bricks. The second one said concrete blocks. And by the time I got the last one, an entire building had collapsed on him. And you should have seen the look on Homer Garrity's face when it happened. And how do you happen to know about the look on his face? Yes, Kent, just how do you know that? Well, I, I happened to be nearby at the time. Oh, now, don't tell me that I had a reporter at the scene of a story for the change. Maybe he was nearer than you think, Chief. Come on, Jim. Chief, what do you suppose you meant by that? My boy, when a woman has nothing to say, she talks in riddles. Just to keep every person in a state of confusion. <laughs> I'm with you. Lois, on the other hand, is suspicious of Mr. Kent. She intends to prove that he is really Superman. If I could offer a little brain, along with my blonde, Miss Lane, I'd say that someday you're going to get into trouble trying to prove that Mr. Kent is Superman. If he isn't, how do you explain his slip about the expression on Gary's face? He said he just happened to be there. He said, well, I've had this book fixed for a week, just waiting for a chance to plan it. And this is the chance. This thing weighs over 50 pounds, and no ordinary man is going to be able to lift it easily. No ordinary boy, either. <laughs> okay, come on. Jimmy. Hi. Busy? No, not doing a thing. No one's making any news these days. Except Superman. Uh, Clark, I'd like to look up a phone number. Would you hand me the book, please? Hmm? Oh, sure, Lois. Here, catch. <gasps> Miss Lane! Something the matter? Oh, no, nothing at all. Ready, Jim? More or less, I guess. Oh, Miss Lane, aren't you going to call your number? I just remembered it. Thank you, Mr. Kent. You're welcome, Miss Lane. Now are you convinced? More than ever. 
Well, what do you mean by that? Well, Clark switched the books, right? That means he discovered ours was a dummy. And how did he discover it was a dummy? With his x-ray vision, that's how. But that dummy telephone book was loaded with lead, and x-rays can't see through lead. You don't have to go through lead to see it, silly. Carla, you're right. And I have an idea that'll prove I'm right. Come on. Now, Lois has an idea on how she can reveal the truth about Superman. If there's one thing I hate, it's having even the vaguest idea where I'm going or why. Now you know. Gee, a private eye. You know, Miss Lane, if I ever got fired from the Daily Planet, which almost happens every day, that's what I'd like to be, a Seamus. A Seamus? Sure. My own private secretary, torpedoes from Toledo, slinky gun malls, the killer fleeing from the sight of my steel blue eyes and rock-like jaw. <laughs> I thought I heard voices. Are you looking for me? No, we're looking for Homer Garrity, the private eye. I'm Homer Garrity. Come in, won't you? You? I'm Lois Lane, and this is Jimmy Olsen. It's a pleasure. Come in. All my clients are disappointed at first. They expect a cross between a gorilla and Sherlock Holmes. Sit down, won't you? Thank you. Oh, what can I do for you? I'll get right to the point, Mr. Garrity. I want someone followed. Clark Kent of the Daily Planet. Would you mind telling me why? Well, if I'm right, I think you'll find out why. However, the detective is not exactly what Jimmy expects. And the cover reporter's exposure at the Private Eye movies gave him a certain idea of how the profession should be. To keep Jimmy from being disappointed, Garrity shows him some tools of the trade, including a one-way window hidden behind a mirror on the closet door. Jimmy is fascinated, but that is short-lived as extortionist Cappy Leonard and his henchman Noodles have captured Garrity and Lois, who is pretending to be the sleuth secretary after Garrity says she was a sales lady. Someone whom Leonard blackmailed hired Garrity, who has gotten too close for Cappy's comfort. Believing that he's talking to Garrity, a pool hall owner named Murray has called to advise the private eye that Cappy and Noodles are on the way. Hello. Garrity? Homer Garrity? Who's this? Just the guy you got out of a jam once, Homer. So I'm returning the favor. Hey, Murray, rack him up. What kind of a journey are you running? Shut up, you guys, will you? Who's that? Oh, never mind. Uh, listen, Garrity, I'm tipping you off. A couple of characters are out to get you. So watch it, will you? That's all. Hello, operator. Give me the police. This is an emergency. Hello, police. I want to report a kidnapping. Lois Lane. Homer Garrity. Just about a... F Never mind. You handle it your way. I'll handle it mine. Miss Latour, take a memo. I'm calling this the unfortunate kidnap caper. It all started quite innocently enough with Lois Lane and Homer Garrity being let out at gunpoint. Then came the phone call from the mysterious tipster. Now I'm off to find the tipster himself. How, Miss Latour? Elementary. I merely look for a pool hall run by a citizen named Maury. No license. Thanks, baby. I know I'm a genius. But sometimes I get tired of slapping around these punk hoodlums all day. Oh, well. Somebody has to do it. And a memo. Jimmy has gone to Murray's pool hall where he encounters another of Cabulator's henchmen named Fingers. Say, you ain't Babyface McGoin, are you? My name's 
Olson. Oh, yeah, you're the big butter and egg man from down east, ain't you? Nah, I'm an eye. A Seamus. Yeah? I'm a private detective myself. Then you must know Homer Garrity. Garrity? What about him? That's what I'd like to know. You're in the wrong place, buddy. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> See you around. Seeing you. This is Fingers. Listen, about Garrity. Don't turn around. Tell him you'll call later and hang up. I'll call you back. Oh. Same kid, huh? If you're goofy enough to follow me here, you're goofy enough to have a gun and use it. You're gonna answer a couple of questions. Who's Cappy? What did he do with Homer and Miss Lane? Come on, talk, spill, open up, let's have it. Please. All right, kid. Go ahead, blast away. My poor old mother will get along without me somehow. You have a poor old mother? You should see her. 110 years old. Sitting in a rocking chair, rocking and knitting. Hmm. Well, in that case, would you mind stepping over there and putting your wrist up against the bedpost? Move! Whatever you say, kid. Now! Hey! What did you do to me? I didn't do nothing. You did it yourself. Give me that. <laughs> Have fun, kid. And no bother yelling. In this joint, nobody pays any attention. Oh, just in case. <laughs> Enjoy yourself, kid. <laughs> Some Seamus. As Clark Kent is told by Perry White of an of an anonymous tip phoned into the police about the kidnapping of Lois and Garrity. Fingers has been ordered to bring Jimmy to Cappy. Meanwhile, with bedpost and handcuffs still attached to his wrists, Jimmy has found the extortionist's address. Young Olsen, in, in his attempts to leave Fingers' apartment, has comically removed the metal frame from his bracelets. Now, Jimmy can confront Cappy without knowing that he's walking into the gangster's deadly trap. Thanks to a recording device in Garrity's office, Clark understands that Jimmy intends to go to Murray while playing detective to see Homer and Lois. At the same time, Cappy and Noodles are preparing to deal with the private eye and the star reporter. I'll still feel better when Fingers gets back with that kid. Well, that's what we're waiting for. Then we'll take care of the three of them at once. How? Same way we've done things before, remember? Sure, boss. That's the way I like it. Quiet, neat, and quick. Oh, 
right, you guys, back against the wall. I must be seeing things. Better do like he says. He looks dangerous to me. I got an itchy trigger on this finger. I mean, finger on the trigger. You two up against the wall. Now tell me, what did you do with them? With who? You know who I mean. Mm, something happens to me when I see guys like you. Something happens inside of me. I go wild. I'm warning you. Please, buddy, give us a break, will you? Yeah, have a heart, buddy. In my business, a heart only gets in the way. Now tell me what I want to know. I'll give you till I count to three. One, two, three. All right, I'll give you another chance. One, two, three. Jimmy has just literally fallen into Cappy's trap. One, two, three. And down he went. The gangster is fully prepared to rid himself of the of the cupboard portal, Lois and Garrity, with poison gas. Well, at least I found out one thing. Private detecting certainly isn't as easy as it looks. Especially when it looks like the dead bodies you discover are going to be your own. According to the movies, this is the point where the slinky woman appears and shows us the secret way out. Well, I'll settle for Superman. It's no use, Jim. Not even Superman could find us in here. Change your mind about talking, Garrity? If I told you who my client is, he'd be killed. And you wouldn't let us go anyway. Okay, Noodles. Much cleaner this way. No bullets, no murder weapon, no nothing. Nobody will ever know what happened to you. Last chance. Want to talk? No? Okay. The capsules are launched, and the fumes eventually overcome the trio of prisoners. Superman has gone to Murray for information. What are you doing here? I'm looking for the man who telephoned Homer Garrity. You just gave yourself away. You must be the man or you wouldn't be frightened. I, I was just trying to help, honest. That's exactly what I'm trying to do. Then go to 18 Poplar Way, that's all I can tell you. Let's hope it's enough. The frightened pool hall owner tells him where to find Cappy's gang. Superman ru rushes there in time to inhale the deadly gas vapors and get Lois out into some fresh air. This leads Cappy and Noodles to believe that they can make their getaway. They didn't count on the team of Jimmy Olsen and Homer Garrity judo-flipping them into a state of unconsciousness. And how do you feel now, Miss Lane? Much better, thanks. Jimmy, I always wanted a chance to try that judo stuff. And it works real great, too. Why, those guys will be out till next Tuesday. But, Mr. Garrity, right now I'd like to give you back your office. Miss Lane, there's one thing that still bothers me. How did you happen to get mixed up in all this? Oh, how did she get mixed up in anything? She was just trying to prove Never mind, Jim. Okay, okay. Well, Miss Lane, I guess I'd better get started on that assignment you gave me. Following your friend? Uh, that won't be necessary, Mr. Garrity. Um... If you don't mind, I'd just soon call the whole thing off. It's all right with me. I could use a couple of days rest. Oh, Mr. Garrity, one more thing. Do you have a duplicate set of keys? Keys? Why? Because I did it again!
too much. <laughs> and, <laughs> and you know, if you watch the ending really close, watch Superman as just as Jimmy's about to say it. Because he starts laughing right before they cut back to Jimmy. Before they cut back. Oh, man. Yeah, I, I could, I could, this is just such a fun, fun, fun episode. Jack Larson doing physical comedy. And it's just, it's just so good. It reminds me, and there's so many good scenes, so many good scenes. It reminds me of, of, uh, one of the earlier first season episodes where, uh, and we talked about this when I was on your show before and we talked about, uh, the evil three. Right. Where they had really long takes. You know, there weren't a lot of cuts back right. and forth, no cuts. And two really good scenes in this episode are done in fairly long takes. And it's just Jack Larson by himself. The scene in Homer Garrity's office. When, right he, re- after, when he records the memo? Oh, God, yeah. That is such a great, great, great Jack Larson scene. Is that one of them? Is that one long take? I'd have to look back at it, but it's it seems to me that it is minimal cuts, right. if any, because he goes over, he puts the cap on, the, the the trench coat, he's looking through the desk of all of the guns and the and then he even does a little shrug, huh, no license. He right. puts yeah. it back in and then he walks around the desk and the camera pulls back. I think now I haven't I didn't watch these this week before we recorded, but right. I think it's really long take. And in the bedroom, when he caught up to the the bad guy's name, I forgot the bad guy's name. Fingers. But what was it? Fingers. Fingers, right. Which uh, also the actor, and I mentioned this before, this is the actor that went on to have a great career on The Rifleman, Micah, the sheriff, the town sheriff. But uh, when Jimmy handcuffs himself to the bed, that's just a great scene. Right. And the way he does that. And the hands that moved in the rehearsal, the time he must have tried to do to make that work. Actually, I would love to see a script of this episode. So would I. Because I was watching the commentary, and Jack Larson said there was some stuff that he had to talk George Blair into. Mm. And I kind of wonder what he was talking about. But so this episode has a commentary on the DVD? It, that does, it does, with Noel Neal and Jack Larson. Interesting. I might have to go back because I thought I had listened to all the commentary, but that doesn't ring a bell. Because I, I'm not sure if it was the whole thing with the bed or, uh-huh. or handcuffing himself to the bed. Right. Because he said, basically what he said, he suggested something to George Blair, either the handcuffs or the whole bed stuff. Right. And Blair said, fine, but you get one take. So if it didn't work, they would have to shoot it as scripted. Well, which whenever it was, whether this one was scripted or this is the one he did in the one take. No, this is what he did in the one take. Jack Larson did say that. This is what he did. It's just so good. What did he do with Holmes? Coming up, there's a bit of business with the uh, bedstead. You know, that was wonderful. (laughs) Yeah, and exiting. And and this was a case when uh, I've said that if I got a good comic bit of business, Mm -hmm. they'd let me do it once, one take, you got to do it. And then they said, if it doesn't work, forget it. And it was just going to be a normal scene. But I thought up this bit of business, which I won't ruin it for our our, um, audience here watching... uh, this DVD, but they'll see what it is in a minute. And the director said, you've got one take to do it, and otherwise, we're just going to do this scene straight, or as straight as you can do it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
And this was tricky. The business is coming up. Mm-hmm. And otherwise, we would have just have exited. And I said, let me try this. You see me spotting it there. There I am back trapped on the bedspread. <laughs> <laughs> now George Blair has to let me to continue with this bit of business. Yeah, right. uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It showed the scenery pretty good. Yeah, it worked in the first take. Yeah. I, Jimmy got himself trapped there, handcuffed <laughs> to the bedstead, so George Blair is stuck with this. It is. It's, it's- it's, it's absolutely great. But I'd love to know how it would have gone if this didn't work. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, well, this is so good. Right down to the very last bit when, as he's trying to get out of the door and the handcuffs yeah. and the bed railing thing just kind of comes apart. And he does this little smile and a shrug. Oh, cool. Right. <laughs> he didn't say anything. Yeah. But just that look on his face, and then he fixes his hat or his raincoat and goes off camera. And I just, God, that is so good. Right. This is a really, really, really fun episode <laughs> to do that. So. An- another another fun fact, the, ep- the actor who plays Noodles, Douglas Henderson, is an old surfing yeah. buddy of Jack Larson. Oh, uh, okay, good. So. Now, now, we mentioned uh, how his episode has a lot of great stuff in it. Well, it doesn't start off with some great stuff, because I'm not sure I'm buying this guy pushing a chimney. Oh, 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 yeah, right. Was, <laughs> you lost me for a second. Right, yeah. Back at the very beginning, how this episode starts with a guy pushing a chimney off of a top of a building, right? And then Superman blocking the falling bricks. The guy was trying to kill the detective Homer Garrett. And oh my God, do you see wires that this chimney falls? <laughs> yeah, well, you don't see any of it in a little black and white set, no. but uh you're right the way it falls nothing about that is fun except you know to the little kid in me that was watching right. it going oh no look out uh, a nice little superman leans over homer garrity and I, I like that as the bricks fall on his back yeah one or two of them actually do hit superman's back right um but uh, it's a good scene fun scene and then he Superman knows Homer Garrity, right? Oh, Homer well, he, Garrity. Yeah, he knows of him. Although I will say this, I would like to hire Superman for some of my home improvement projects because I love the uh, way he rebuilt that chimney by just throwing yeah, the bricks up. throwing them back up there. I, well, at least he touched them and threw them. It's better than fix the China wall vision. That's a, Fix the China wall vision is a very important superpower. Yeah. To somebody. For it, somebody it, somewhere, but not Superman. It was very important for the bean counters. Yeah, to get was, that movie over with. It, it was definitely cheaper. So, now, Superman kind of questions Garrity a little bit after he knows him, because, you know, Superman knows everybody. Right. Which is... Well, which is not Garrity is some sort of a celebrity detective. Right. Well, and the fact... Yeah. Right, so... But Superman knows everybody, which is not creepy at all. Not like in the Man of Steel comic, where Superman says to Lois, oh, yeah, I know where everyone lives. <laughs> right. So, now, Garrity kind of writes it off as a rotten chimney, and because nothing like, like that happens in real life. And that's kind of part of Garrity's character in a way. Mm-hmm. Because that's something he emphasizes later on to Jimmy. Well, that, no, the P.I.'s life is not as glamorous as the movies make it seem. And he even says that when Lois and Jimmy show up, how his clients are disappointed, where they expect uh, something, uh, the uh, a cross between a gorilla and Sherlock Holmes. Instead, they get this little nerdy guy. <laughs> right. So. Mm. What's that actor's name? Elijah or Alicia Cook Jr.? I like the character. I, I, d- I do like, like the character. <clears throat> I think he's a really good character. So anyway, he kind of write, writes this off. I think this just happened. Well, he's going to learn differently. So as uh, Clark comes into Perry's office, Perry is telling Lois and Jimmy the story, and basically about everybody called in a different version of the story. <laughs> I got down to the last call. The entire building had collapsed. 
But Perry was lucky. He had a reporter right there on the scene. Yeah. And maybe he was nearer than we think. <laughs> and now we get a moment for Perry to talk about how uh, women talk in riddles. Perry is, hap- is sarcastically happy, but Lois is suspecting something else. Gee, I wonder what. Right. Clearly that phone book Jimmy is carrying is heavy. And Lois is convinced they're after you, Bob. Mm. Or was that a fire truck? That was a fire truck. They put a new fire station about five blocks from me. It's a new one. It's really cool. Nice, big, new, shiny trucks. And oh, nice. So, apparently, uh, Lois has been studying this trap for some time because a 50-pound phone book doesn't just show up. No. So, so obviously. But, you know, the logic in this is still not quite right. It's a funny scene. I like the scene. But well, let's just get, because he's Superman. Let, 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 hold on. Let's get to that. Okay. After 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 the scene that's coming up. Okay. Go ahead. Because. I jump the gun. Yeah. Because I want to talk about her logic here. Okay. Clark, <laughs> <laughs> right. So Clark notices, Clark goes into his office. It took an awful long time to get to his office from Perry's because all of this happened before he got back. Right. So Clark notices that he has two phone books all of a sudden because he had one sitting on his desk, but Lois put that one in in his middle drawer to replace it with the lead one. So Clark notices that he's got two phone books. He finds the new one that Lois left, and he's got a little smile on his face. So he know he knows Lois is about to come in after him. So he throws out the, the new one, and Lee puts the regular phone book back. And I lo- I just love this moment. Here, here, Lois, catch! But she has it for the book, and he throws it at her, and they both scream. <laughs> you know, they, they react... Just like they're expecting a 50-pound phone book thrown at yeah, them. Yeah, both of them. Jimmy and Lois both right. react as if it is the heavy phone book. It's right. a great little scene. It is. And she definitely she doesn't want her number after all that. And you know what? Clark knows exactly what's going on here. Mm-hmm. And once again, he has frustrated her plans to expose him. But all he has really done is told her, yes, I'm Superman. But has he? Sure, he found the lead thing, right, and then swapped. So he's saying, ah, she's trying to, he is telling her, oh, you were trying to prove that I'm Superman, but I fooled you. Wouldn't he, wouldn't that just be, I mean, because that's what she actually does. Right. It gets, it gets her even more curious now. How did he know? Well, obviously he picked it up and right. felt the difference, which brings me to, are we to the point of logic? Yes, yet? we're to the point of logic because wouldn't just picking up the book and knowing that it's 50 pounds be a, enough for him to? Of course. Even if he had not done it until she came in, he would have known when he touched that book, picked it up. Just because he's Superman, that doesn't mean he doesn't know the difference between something light and something heavy and he's right. going to pick them all up as if they all weigh nothing. Right. He's still going to reach over there, pick that up, and know that that's heavier than a normal phone book. And he's going to know it's made of lead. Exactly. And he's then going to realize, oh, it's a trick, and act like it's heavy. Right. What's going on here? The logic doesn't work. Now. But he doesn't act He doesn't act like the book is heavy. No, he picks it up and slings it at her. So he... Fooled her. A, he fooled her, because at first they think... He's pick. He's just picking up casually, picking up the the heavy, heavy phone book, right. but and then he throws it when it lands in her lap and doesn't do anything to her. That's when she realizes he threw the regular phone book. He at her. switched books, which makes her even more curious. He would have said something if he was not Superman, right? Right. Clark Kent comes into his office, finds the heavy phone book, then Lois and Jimmy come in. If I'm not Superman, 
I'm thinking, did you guys see anybody in my office here? Look what I found. I found this book with a hunk of lead in the middle. Right. What's going on here? Now, if I'm Superman, I instantly realize, ah, Lois is trying her one of her little right. find out these secret identity tricks. So I don't know. I think I think the logic doesn't necessarily work. And as Clark was and this is something that I hated in the comic book. See, this convinces but, you see, I don't see how she's convinced. Being he's teaching her a lesson. Right. And that's the whole, you know, point. I'm gonna teach her a lesson. Ha ha. See, you could have been hurt actually if if I if blah blah blah. Right. And it real real led. But anyway. it still but it still doesn't prove that he's Superman. No, even if he had lifted it up and thrown it, it just means he was a strong guy. Right. Even if even if he wasn't Superman and he knew she was trying to prove that he was, even right. if he wasn't, he can still touch that book and know that it's not right. Exactly. As soon as he tried to move it, he would know it was fifty pounds and it was heavy. Exactly. So even a normal person could have done what Clark did there. Right. The way to find out, she has to do something like they would try in the comic books. Sneak right. up behind him and cut his hair with a pair of scissors. Or just come right out and stab him in his hand. It won't do any permanent damage, but it'll hurt like whole age of ebilities. Right. You know, I don't know, there are ways, but you know, can't do that. That's not nice ways to figure out if somebody is Superman or not. Right. Don't go around stabbing and shooting your friends. She is Lois Lane. There was a Superboy episode like that. It was the last episode of the series. He lost his powers, and Lana was trying to find out. Well, and she stabbed him with a pin, and oh, he had, didn't have his powers. Oops. I still don't have seasons three and four yeah, of was the four. Superboy series. So. Yeah, I need to get those eventually. On the list. But, but speaking of going around stabbing people, that's exactly what she was doing. She was <laughs> following around and stabbing them. So. All right, so she decides, because of this... He's Superman. That this even convinces her even more. So, uh, Jimmy, now, Jimmy, however, is not. Right. Jimmy still doesn't think so. Because when uh, Jimmy when they come out and Jimmy says, now are you convinced? Right. I More don't, than ever. But I don't think he's asking if she's convinced that he's Superman. No, I, he's asking the other way around. If yeah. she's convinced, now are you convinced that, that he's not. Yeah. Right. And then when she says more than ever, he's like, wait a minute. <laughs> right. <laughs> the smile just disappears. And he's like, well, wait a minute. Because Jimmy has no clue. Jimmy does. He acts like he, he suspects, but... Jimmy's right here. Jimmy's playing the role of I don't think he's Superman, and that he is just kind of playing along. And obviously, Jimmy's words at the start of this is a, has a lot of foreshadowing that someday you're going to get in trouble trying to prove that Mister Ken is Superman. Yeah, how about today? Yeah, like right now, right now, because they're going to go visit Homer Garrity. And, and I like this little speech about Jimmy saying that if he ever got fired from the Daily Planet, he'd like to become a PI. Yeah, does he actually use the phrase flat foot? What does he call him? No, no, no. Frankie uh, uses the term, the phrase "flatfoot," I believe, in yeah, the in uh, the boy who hated but, uh, Superman. Yeah, if I wasn't going to be a reporter, he's going to be a Seamus, a Seamus, a gumshoe, right? P.I. Private Eye, right? And you know, Jimmy is disappointed when Homer Garrity comes out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, we're looking for Homer Garrity, the detective. Yeah, yeah. yeah so. That's just so, so good. Every scene is so good. So, obviously, we, we mentioned Jimmy's disappointment earlier, and obviously yeah. she wants him to follow Clark. But Jimmy is more interested in the blackmail case that he was t- that Homer was dealing with. So, so Jimmy's interest is peaked when uh, Garrity shows him the handcuffs, the nightstick, and the gun. But then he hasn't used any of it. He gets a little disappointed again. But he gets really excited about that one-way window. 
Well, he got disappointed first because he realized when Homer Garrity said, I finished the case, I have all the information. Right, that he's not going to make it over. And he said, you won't even make the arrest right. yourself? No. And this is the first mention of the movies. Right. Right, when he said that either I would go to too many movies or that Garrity hasn't. seen enough. Yeah. Right. Very but, good. All right, so the one-way mirror is pretty cool. Yeah, it is cool. And Jimmy's very excited about it. Yeah. And, uh, and perfect timing because Homer Garrity says, here, you can stay in here and watch everything that happens in right. this room right now. So perfect timing as the bad guys come in. Right. As Cappy and Noodles come in. <laughs> noodles. And uh, we see that Garrity uses his knee to turn on the recording. Perfect. And take note that we never see anybody turn it off. It actually finishes going. Right. Tape runs out. And Which is interesting because later when Superman listens to it, he didn't rewind it. He didn't turn it. He just turned it on or rewind something. Right. It was weird because that type of tape recorder, you do need a little manual. What? It's not a cassette. It's not right. a rewinding thing. So you have to you have to switch you have to switch the reels, I believe, right? You have to. Uh, well, you have to rethread it. It depends. Right. You can actually just rethread it back to rewind and then put it through the mechanism to go forward again. But there is some manual work necessary. Right. Particularly when one of the reels, you know, when all the tape is on one reel. Right. I like the look of those machines. Yeah, they're cool. Yeah. I used to have a little uh, reel-to-reel tape recorder that I loved playing with. It was, I just loved that little thing. So obviously the one-way window comes in handy as Jimmy sees everything. Lois sees everything. Lois decides to uh, inject herself into this situation, as Lois does. (laughs) She would, (laughs) yes, indeed. But I love that this is now just... One of the better scenes ever from Jack Larson. Yes, it is. Ever. This is just so good. So he comes out of the closet. Oh, God, that came out wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Jimmy leaves the closet. Yeah, I think he was still in the closet during this time period. I was trying not to go there with Jimmy being in the closet. (laughs) Regards to Jack Larson. (laughs) Thank you. You're welcome. Donald Trump has infected us all. <laughs> Slightly. All right, so this is when he gets the the call from the guy at the pool hall, who's giving him a tip that some guys are out to get him. Right. Nice timing, buddy. They left already. Perfect. It is. But So Jimmy calls the police, reports the kidnapping, looks at the handcuffs, and all good sense goes out the window, and hilarity is going to ensue now. Yeah, this is just perfect. <laughs> Never mind. You handle it your way. I'll handle it mine. And this is when he uh, starts to uh, do his Humphrey Bogart impression. Yeah, it's kind of between a Humphrey Bogart, James Cagney. Right. But it's just old-time gangster, private eye, hat, trench coat, puts the handcuffs in his pocket, which comes in a lot. (laughs) But such a good scene. Jack Larson has said that he is very proud of this impersonation. And I don't know how different... George Blair's directorial style is from Tommy Carr. Mm-hmm. But Blair basically told them just to go all out. Do it. Yeah. Maybe maybe Tommy Carr likes to stick to the script a little more, but it seems like Blair got more of these, more of the zanier episodes, like this one. Right. Where, uh... Yeah, that's, that'd be interesting to do. I've never done that. Actually. Look, look at the ones each directed. <laughs> yeah, line up the directors and see which episodes and how, you know, they played with each other, how... Yeah. Panic in the Sky was a was a Tom uh, was a, definitely a Tommy Carr episode. Yeah, but so, very interesting. Uh, so so this particular scene again uh, is again one of Jack Larson's favorite scenes. Right. Watching him do this, and 
it, it's one of those that just never gets old for me either. I love it. And then when he walks out, uh, everything about this scene. Yeah. Everything about it. It's just great. End the memo. <laughs> right. Right. So Jimmy goes to find the pool hall. And Bob, how would you like to get a burger and coffee for 40 cents? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Jimmy's kind of walking around, and this is where we get our first look of fingers, and the, and then we see the guy who called in the tip, so we know Jimmy's at the right place. And I love how fingers just shoves the cigar right in Jimmy's mouth. And I love how he identifies himself. His name's Olsen. Oh. <laughs> With a squinty eye. Yeah. Clock out the side of your yeah. mouth. Yeah. Oh. <sighs> you know, I've always been wondered, they did the same kind of a scene in in the Batman 66 series where they sent young Bruce Wayne in to, uh, well, in that case, it was the malt shop that would been taken over by bad guys. But uh, anytime uh, a non-smoker is forced to smoke right, and they don't handle it well, I know that's kind of comic relief to some people, or comic, you know, but I think that's an old joke. And I don't think it works that way. Right. And, you know, this episode does not need any comic relief. It didn't need to. It didn't need that little. Right. That whole cigar. Let me light it for you. No, I don't yeah. I meant today. Yeah, it just, it wasn't. Uh, I guess it was to show, to let us know that the crooks now know that he's not a real detective. He's right. Jimmy so, is so out of his element here. Way out of his element. And I mean, way over his head. Yes. Way out way out he's not letting that dissuade him no and he actually follows up really well right he follows fingers back to his apartment or his room or whatever that is and figures out little clues and other right. things that fingers is doing and i wonder what jimmy's writing in his notepad as he's watching because you see him pick up the notepad and write something down that's mm-hmm. something you gotta watch everything jack larson does we didn't talk about this in panic in the sky i don't think but there's a little moment during the bedroom scene where Jimmy scratches his face. He just takes one finger and kind of scratches his face. Was Jimmy wondering something, or did Jack Larson have an itch? <laughs> you know, it's, right. Larson, during that kind of Larson says, oh, Jimmy's wondering about something. All of Jack Larson's movements don't always register, but he's always doing something. Right, always in motion. Right. So, after Fingers off the phone, Jimmy is acting all tough again. Well, actually, he makes Fingers hang up. Right. But then he's, he's trying to question him, and then all of a sudden, his eyes get real big, and he's like, please... <laughs> And another, here's where coming up, is another just really good Jack Larson right. bit of physical comedy. Right. And because he's Jimmy, he buys the story about Fingers' 110-year-old mother. <laughs> <laughs> and this is kind of where Jimmy ends up handcuffed to the bed. In a brilliant move. In a brilliant move. Absolutely look brilliant move. Because what he has to do is take this other guy's arm over and- there, move it around, and do it in one motion. Miss his hand, but handcuff yourself to it. So it's just a really terrific little move. Terrific little move. It is. Wait, it's telegraphed though. Why is he putting even putting his wrist there? This is Jimmy being inexperienced with handcuffs. Right. So, but the art it took as an actor to pull that scene off is just really good. I wonder if the change was to handcuff him to the bed. Maybe he was supposed to be handcuffed to something else in the room. No idea. Like I said, I'd love to see the script of this episode, just to see how it would have gone had Jimmy not sold George Blair on the business with the bed. 
Yeah, it might have been something else. It might have been planned for him to handcuff himself to the bed, but maybe all of the bit that takes place after that right. is Jack. Because Who he, knows? Who right. knows? So, anyway, I believe the accidental handcuffing was Jack Larson's idea. Mm-hmm. Because without it, because I'm pretty sure that the gag at the end was written in. Right. There's probably a guy on Facebook, his name is Jim Nolt. Right. The adventures continue. I'll bet he knows if this was a Jack Larson bit or if it was scripted. And how right. much of it was scripted, what the original script looked like. Well, Jack Larson does talk about how the whole the Jimmy wrestling with the bed stuff is his idea. Okay, good. And, and he said he had a, he only had one take to do it to do it to get well, it to he did it brilliant to get it to work. So, so then the next scene he comes out of the bedroom after he goes, and this is another good scene: writing down and going through while the bedpost is still hanging on his wrist. Right, going to the phone, looking through well, the phone book before before that. All right, so before that, uh, we go back. We go back to Perry, who has a tip. Who get who informs Clark of the tip, and Perry refers to. Homer Garrity has somebody named Garrity, as if he didn't hear about the private detective earlier in the day. And uh, just as Perry leaves, Clark leaves, uh, Perry makes an interesting comment. Why can't I just lose my mind and it'll all be over with? The chief should be careful what he wishes for, because he will almost lose his mind in season three. Really? Then it gets serious, where Cappy questions Garrity. For ten years I've been running one of the juiciest blackmail rackets in the country, then you had to stick your nose in it. That's my job. Sure, but what I want to know is who hired you. Just one of your victims, who finally decided to be smarter to pay me for a little while than pay you forever. I'll find out how smart he is when I find him. Somehow I don't think you're going to. I'll find him, all right. Garrity will tell me. Or you will. She doesn't know anything. I told you that. She says she's your secretary. As a matter of fact, I don't know anything. But even if I did, I wouldn't tell you. She's got nerve, huh, Cappy? Yeah, real nerve. She's going to need it. You know, Garrity, Superman saved you from me once, but he ain't going to do it again. And I love Garrity's line about how his client wanted to pay Garrity for a little while rather than pay Cappy forever. So even though he's a nerdy little man, Garrity is not intimidated by these blackmailers in the in the uh, slightest bit. Yeah, he's good. I really like this character. Yeah. I'd probably have watched a show with him in it. Detective right, yeah. Homer Garrity. Yeah, definitely. Private Eye. And, of course, Lois mouths off because that's what Lois does. And this is where we learn... Cappy makes a comment about how Superman saved Garrity from him once. So this is where we learn that the uh, chimney was not an accident. And this, and then we meet the trapdoor, which is going to come into play later. Lois and Garrity do not go down through the back through the trapdoor. I don't believe. No, I don't think so. They No, they're not going to let Lois fall through a trapdoor. Yeah, at least not on camera. Right. So, meanwhile, while all this is going on... Jimmy is hilariously trying to escape. There, oh, what, a, what a struggle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I, I guess out of all the, all the huh? shows, I'm proudest of this bit of business. <laughs> <laughs> this was a real yeah. bit of business. You loved every minute of it. Yeah, I yeah, really did. This is, yeah. this is when I was happiest, when I had a comic bit of business. Yes, mm-hmm. eight. T U V V S V R S U Sunset three six one three three Sunset three six one three three C Leonard eighteen popular way 
Yes, Jimmy. No. See if this will work. See if it will work. See if it works, Jimmy. This was to be the coup de grace. Yeah, right. And and I I thought, will it work? It worked. <laughs> Otherwise, Jimmy would have had to carry around the beds, the the, the bedstead through the rest of this film. This is just some great physical comedy right here with the bed. Oh, this is this is great stuff. Absolutely great, great stuff. And what I like about this is how it's intercut with Clark going to Garrity's office and finding the recording of both the kidnapping and Jimmy's speech. Right, and. Obviously, it, you could tell from listening to it that it's a different it's a different take of the recording because Jimmy's not as animated. Mm-hmm. He's not as excited about chasing around the punk hoodlums all day on the recording, but <laughs> it still works. Yeah, I never even noticed it actually. Yeah. So, Jimmy, meanwhile, he has this entire bed ripped apart and takes the entire footboard over to the desk with him. Yeah, it's great. It's yeah, just hanging from him as he then figures out. Who Gappy was talking to. Right. Uh, by going through the phone book and looking at the numbers, uh, which it doesn't, it's still not logical to me how right. he figured it out unless he heard the clicks. It's a rotary dial. So the only thing I can figure out is that he heard the clicks somehow uh, yeah, I'm when pro- the other one was dialing because just by looking at the receiver and looking through a phone book, he wouldn't have known. Well, un- uh, un- unless it was written down. And that's the other thing. It could have been, but he kept looking at the phone received the the dials right. on the phone, and then looking through. I guess that was uh, the bad guy's phone number. Book. Right, and, and he traced the phone number to the address. It's right. it's a nice detective work, even if the way he gets the phone number right. is is a little wonky. Right. But then the whole bit now of him trying to get out of the room with the bedpost on right. still hanging to him, and the way it comes off. And then the look on Jack Larson. Yeah, I want to talk about the look. Now, first, first question. If he can't get that footboard off, does right. Jimmy does Jimmy go all the way to 18 Popper Way with that footboard attached to him? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I would love to see a scene of that. Yeah, he would have done that in the comic. I right. can even see him now <laughs> hanging it out the door of a, of a taxi cab or something. I can see it now. Him going out and calling a cab with a bedpost still handcuffed to his <laughs> But no, the way it comes off and gets stuck in the yeah. door, it's just terrific. It is. It, it gets caught in the door, and Jimmy pulls off one of the bars in the middle. Right. And Which makes me think, okay, the bar had to have been a breakaway-type bar. Right. Or it would have really hurt his wrist to pull it off to make it come out. So if you trace that back, if you assume, yes, that was a breakaway bar— then that means during that entire scene of him breaking the bed apart, grabbing that footboard, having it go all the way over to the desk with him while he's looking the number up, he had to hold that bed board in a certain way so that the bar did not fall out too soon. Right. With all of the other physical stuff he was doing with that footboard. Now, moving uh, it around, unless... Moving it, twisting it. It's beautiful. Right. Now, however, we talked about how some of the scenes were done in one take. Right. This was not done in one in one cut. Not one cut. This is looks like it's several. So it is very possible he could have done most of the bit, and then they made that, and then they cut that. And then they cut that for the door, just at the part where he right starts to walk out and falls off. So, so anyway, but it's just a good. I'd have to look at the scene again. I right. Haven't seen it again in a while because this whole this whole thing is intercut with Clark. Mm-hmm. So there were a yeah. lot of a lot of cuts in here. So right. I want to talk a little about the look that 
Jimmy gives the whole thing after he escapes from it. He, he kind of tips his hat to it. Now, you can read this two ways. Both in story, and both in character and out of character. Right. Jimmy is excited because he's free. And given all this stuff we've already said about how Jack Larson came up with some of this, you can almost say that's Jack Larson tipping his hat saying, yes, it worked. Right, right. You know? Right. Uh-huh. I so. can definitely see that. Because it's that kind of a look. It looks genuine, right. pleased on both parts. Right. You know, I usually keep it in character and think it was just Jimmy pulling it off. And he's so, you know, full of himself, so pleased with himself. Right. Well, and, and I'm sure he is. But there's a, there's a part of Jack Larson that is pleased with himself there, too. Absolutely. Because he, because he came up with what he called this bit of business. I do like, when we see Clark listening to the recording of Jimmy, Clark is getting a kick out of this. You can see Clark laughing listening to Jimmy. Right. So he's enjoying Jimmy's performance. But, you know, this is a job for Superman. And he's gonna, he's gonna find the pool hall, but we'll get to that, because that's another great scene. Fingers has exited the episode at this point. So Jimmy shows up at Cappy and Noodles, and he's threatening them. Now, if you look at the floor, you can see the trap door, and I just... Don't look, look at the floor. Well, don't look at the floor? Well, you know, yeah. we know that we know the trap door is there. <clears throat> right. Because it's already been set up. Now, it's almost like you say, no, no, Jimmy, don't step there. And there he goes. He's giving him the count of three. One, two, three. And down, <laughs> and down he goes. He just disappears. And that must have been some kind of drop because Jack Larson disappears. Yeah, there are several trapdoor scenes throughout the series, and I've often thought... It makes me think back to the Chinese jade where Superman dumped into the hole in the street. Yeah, those are some of those are pretty, pretty deep um, drops. Pretty good drops. So... Which is probably why they didn't want Lois in high heels falling through right. that thing. And apparently, Jack Larson did the fall. Because there is no cut between Jack between Jimmy Landing and him talking to Noel, Neal, and Garrity. Right. So that's, that's all Jack Larson there. Right. Young and healthy. Young and healthy, yeah. And uh, Cappy and Noodles are obviously pleased. And they deserve to be. They got a kick out of Jimmy's act, too. And... Now, as they're down in, I guess this is the basement, Jimmy is no longer as excited about being a P.I. No. No. And now, Garrity is the one talking about the movies. When he says, this is the moment where the slinky woman appears to show them the secret way out. Now That would have been, that would have been funny if the slinky woman had come in to show them the way out. Yeah, well, there's nothing slinky about Superman and George, especially George Reeves. <clears throat> no. But I find it amusing that all of a sudden Garrity is now talking about the movies. When he spent the whole episode talking about how boring being a P.I. is. So, they're going to get gassed here. And I love this scene when Superman shows up at the pool hall. Mm-hmm. Looking for the guy mm-hmm. himself on Garrity. And I was in in, large and large, in charge, as they say. This is the most large and in charge we see. Yeah, he just looks so good in yeah. this scene. So this guy is just kind of th- scurries away like a little rat. And then just crushes those cue balls. Right in his hand. There's just, yeah, good, and good scene. I love the way Superman just towers over this guy. Yeah. He is showing nothing but powers. Well, nothing, nothing but, but power. power. His chest is out, big, S symbol. The guy's just looking down on him. That guy is shivering in his boots. He's just, you do not want to screw with Superman right now. This guy is wetting himself right here. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, Superman gets his info, the address, because we know. We know it matches, because we heard Jimmy say it before. Now, obviously, that... More fun with the uh, the signs in the back. The combination sandwich is about 75 cents. If, if you figure, that's probably like a ham and bologna sandwich or something. That's probably about eight bucks now, which is about right. So, meanwhile, uh, 
Lois, Jimmy, and Homer are getting gassed by uh, the gangsters. And all of a sudden, Jimmy is worried about what the chief will do without them. It looks like the end of the line for all of us. Jesus, my friend, what would the chief do without us? What are we going to do without him? Nothing, because they're going to be dead. Yeah, dead is dead. <laughs> yeah. And now we have another great shot of Superman crashing into the living room, large and in charge, as we said. Mm-hmm. Finds the trap door with his x-ray vision. Now, do you notice the issue with the trap door here? Uh, I don't know. I'm not looking at it. What is it? Well, the trap door, when Jimmy falls, is two pieces. It, it, op- it opens and he falls through the center. Really? Is it a two-piece yeah. door and this is only a one-piece? This door? is only a one-piece now, so. Interesting. But minor detail. Minor detail. Yeah, I'd have to look back at that one. Didn't notice that. Because I'm pretty sure it opens from the center when he shows it to Garrity and Lois. I know that when Superman picks it up and throws it off, he does another trap door like this, too. It's, yeah. It's, uh, it's like it's made of cardboard or something. It's, and he, ju- and he oh. just throws it. Yeah. This He's is a, a very powerful Superman in this he episode. Is. He is. And this is a great shot of him inhaling all the gas. Mm-hmm. And this is actually one of the more believable shots in the show. Yeah. I can actually sit there and believe just from what I'm seeing is that George Reeves is inhaling all of this. Mm-hmm. It's really amazing. He's a very powerful Superman in this. Right. But his power is mostly George Reeves projecting power as opposed to really watching him, you know, take a plane down or something. Right. It's power he, amongst men. Right. And he's a really powerful right. figure. He, in this he's, not, he's not using power as much as he's exuding it. And, it's, and he continues to do it here as, you know, obviously Lois is unconscious and Superman just kicks this door down as if its sheer presence offends him. You know, he just kicks that door like it's bothering him. And he takes, Superman takes Lois into the next room. And this is where our two criminals get stupid because Cappy and Noodle say, now he's gone. In what universe does the next room mean gone? And I'm just, just, just a quick question. <laughs> They're not worried about Jimmy and Garrity and perhaps they should have been because... <clears throat> they come out and Jimmy and Garrett are doing some nice arm drag tackles and knock these guys out. Like that, Mr. Garrity? Just exactly like that. And I hope you didn't forget that Jimmy still has got that handcuff on because the writers haven't. <laughs> <laughs> so, obviously, Superman is a little bit, as Lois comes to, Superman is a little bit bothered about how Lois seems to have gotten herself mixed up in all this. <clears throat> and Jimmy was going to explain, but yeah, Lois yeah. shuts him up. Lois shuts him up, and then Homer Garrity says that, well, Miss Lane, now that this is over, I'm ready to start that assignment. You, well, Oh, never mind. Never mind. Now that Superman is standing right here. Right. Why, day, why, why is she is she calling it off because Superman is right here, or is she calling it off because it nearly got her killed? Uh, a little of both, probably. Right. It's a, a little of both. And now we get our last great comedic bit of the episode. Oh, don't. He did it again! <laughs> yep. Handcuffs himself to a chair. And, you know, and Jack starts it off very, you know, very seriously. Yeah. You know, just asking for this for the keys. Why? I did it again! Yeah. Yeah. But, again, Jack Larson just really does a great, great, great job in this episode. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, just really does. It's just, what a fun one. It is. This is... One of the most fun episodes of the show. Yeah. It would definitely make my list of must-see if you if you want to see, you know, Jack Larson be Jimmy Olsen. Right. This is real good Jimmy Olsen. This is. And, yeah, I just enjoy it a lot. This is the epitome of Jimmy Olsen from season two on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
But this is the character, and he plays this character really well from now on. Vacuum cleaner salesman, phone repairman. Oh, yes. Uh, I mean, so many great, great occupations and bits that this guy is going to do over the next five or six years. Right. I guess five and a half, four and a half now. And Jack Larson has said many times that he was excited about getting to do the comedy that he's gotten to do. Right. In season two and beyond. Right. And, and, and I'll do a Fox News thing here. Many people say, you know, there are, right. and I've heard many people do have said this, that they, they don't like the comedy bits. They don't like the color episodes because of, you know, Jimmy Olsen and, and being the, uh, you know, comedian. And I just think that's just too bad because, you know, there's so many good, good, fun episodes. Every single Superman story doesn't have to be Panic in the Sky. Right. It doesn't have to be Crime Wave, Evil 3, you know. Uh, Star Trek didn't do Balance of Terror every single episode. No. You know, so I enjoy them. And right. we're fortunate that when they do decided, when they did decide to do some comic type episodes, that for the most part, the story held up, but. Jack Larson was brilliant doing it. Right. So we've talked anyway, so really- we've talked so much about how we believe that Jimmy Olsen is still around because of Jack Larson. Yeah, absolutely. And absolutely. it's not it's not because of the way he performed in the Evil Three. No, it's, it's, it's because, because of episodes like this. Yeah, def- exactly. defining what Jimmy absolutely what Jimmy absolutely. became. Yeah, absolutely. Without episodes like this, there's probably no Jimmy Olsen comic probably very right and they used him like this not to this degree in every episode right but pretty much from here on you're going to find some really nice jack larson comedy bits jimmy olsen trouble bits just like i mentioned the phone repairman the uh, vacuum cleaner salesman i mean the things that he does to get into little situations and to use a little comedy bit here and now here and there it's just just terrific so highly recommend this episode highly yes i do too so good job that was a couple of fun ones tonight that That was was fun that was fun even i i ended up liking uh the boy who hated superman more than i thought i used to do right and this one as always is a fun one to talk about because i just i just really 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 love jack larson and noel neal in these types of shows so yes very cool very very cool so why don't you tell the good listeners where they can find you well in case they've forgotten (laughs) In case you've forgotten, you can find me here every, every couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, my main Superman show is called Superman Forever Radio at supermanforever.com. And I'm also on Facebook. Uh, I don't do any other social media stuff. I don't twit or any of that stuff. So uh, I'm a big enough twit without that. So, ha, 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 ha. But basically, that's it. I also have a new episode of Long Play out over on the Two True Freaks Network where Paul Spataro and I are talking about uh, Abbey Road, the Beatles' Abbey Road album, which is possibly my favorite album of all time. So check it out. But that's basically it. Bob at SupermanForever.com. All right. And provided I don't get eviscerated by this cat while I'm recording, <laughs> you can you can find the show at manofscreen.potomatic.com. And you can find the Facebook group where me and a bunch of us hang out and talk about Superman. You can find that by putting Man of Screen podcast into your Facebook search feed, and that'll come up there. Show is also on Twitter at Man of Screencast. And you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. 
and you can leave reviews on both iTunes and Stitcher. So, next time, we'll continue uh, marching kind of toward the end of Season 2 with Perry White's Scoop and Beware the Wrecker. Mm, those are a couple of fun episodes. They are. Perry White gets out on the out in the beat, man. Yeah. He gets out there becoming a reporter, showing that young whippersnapper how you do it. And beware the wrecker. Drones. Yes. <laughs> so, cool. Mike, thanks a lot for inviting me back yeah. again. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for coming on, Bob. You bet. All right. So, and thank you for listening, folks. See you next time. Have a good one. Don't miss the next thrill-packed episode in the amazing Man of Screen podcast. The Man of Screen podcast is produced by Mike Zemo, and all opinions on the show are those of Mike Zemo and his guests and no one else. All music is in sound clips used in the making of the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All trademarks are copyright their original copyright holders. The Man of Screen podcast is a member of the Superman Podcast Network, can be found at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. The homepage for the show is manofscreen.podomatic.com, and you can email the show at manofscreen at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.